All right, good morning, everybody. Let's open up in prayer. Father, right now, we just thank you for your presence here. We thank you that we get to be among people that love us. We thank you that we get to be in your presence and that you love us. So God, right now, I pray that you will just turn our affections towards you and what you've done, what you're going to continue to do. And I pray that you just do a mighty work in everyone, everyone in this room today. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. Um, it is almost 2014. Can you believe it? And so this is kind of a, a year-end review. Well, maybe not. It's not a year-end review. But, if you, but what I did, what I did is I, you know, I, you know, I just went through the Internet, and I went through the Google top searches of the year, and then I went through the news stations and got the, the, you know, the top uh, stories of the year. And, man, is that depressing. Um. Okay, first of all, that's how, that's how the news media works. They, they, they sell bad news, and that's how they make money, okay? So they have to put that filter in on it. But at the same time, this, this time last year, uh, the country was mourning the Sandy Hook shooting. And since then, I mean, craziness after craziness. We had the, the Naval Yard shooting. We had the Boston bombing. Remember that one? Didn't that one seem like it was 10 years ago? No, that was in April. Um, we had the thing at LAX, we had Trivon Martin, we had all these crazy peop- ladies killing their husbands. It was just, I mean, this is the news. This is what we're having, having put in front of us. And I was looking for some positive news, and the best we can really get is you know, the royal couple had a baby. That's as bad as positive as it gets in the news. And if you, again, if you think about our, our, our history this year, it's like, man, that's, that's kind of depressing. And I do believe that it is valuable to review our own history and where we were this year. We, we come to church on Sunday as a day of worship, as a day of reflection. Okay, what did I do this week? Where, you know, where did God bless me? Where did I miss the mark? And you know, as we wind down this year, I want you guys to review your year. And there's nothing wrong with doing this. If you read the beginning of what we read today, Paul says, don't live in the past, okay? There's nothing good in the past. Don't live there. Just learn from it. And so it is, it's valuable. I mean, I'm a history major, so you know, I like to learn from the past. And God wants us to do the same thing. Okay, but unlike the news media, what I would want to encourage you to do is, where did God bless me in 2013? You will be drawn like a moth of the flame to the negative things in your life, that all the things that you messed up. Now, yeah, maybe you do need to say, all right, God, where did I miss the mark? And, and God says, Josh, when you took the cushion off the sofa and put it on scene four and got paint on it, you missed the mark. That's right. So we all make really dumb mistakes. Hopefully we can learn from our dumb mistakes. But if we spend our entire evening focusing on all the bad things that happened in 2013 to us, you know, it's going to be like the news. It's going to make us depressed. And you continue feeding yourself on negative stuff. It's going to wear down on you. And you'll lose your peace. Today's message is, is discovering the secret of God's peace. God's peace. You know, Paul was, he's absolutely amazing. This, this story, this letter to the Philippians, it's a letter. It's, he's, he's, uh, he's talking to his friends. 
He loves these people. And this has got to be one of the sweetest, most encouraging letters that Paul's ever written. And it is, you know, this Philippians is called, you know, the, the book of joy or the, the peace book. Or, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the positive uh, book, you know. Makes you feel good after you read it. Did you feel good after Patricia led, read that? Did you just feel like your spirit lift a little bit? Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. Paul is talking about God's peace in, in contrast to what the world would consider peace. And as Paul is writing this sweet letter about rejoice always, again I say rejoice, and I'm so thankful, and, and thank you for doing this for me, but you really didn't have to, but you guys are awesome. You know, God is so good. This is the tone of, of the letter. Okay, he is writing this from prison. He is, uh, we're not quite sure exactly how, how all the history lines up, but Nero is the emperor, and Rome burned down, and Nero decides to blame the Christians, so Paul might have got caught up in that. He gets himself arrested, so chances are he's falsely accused, He's tortured, he's starving, and he's basically he's, he's facing death. They're, they're, they're probably going to kill him. They have this crazy dictator at the throne. That uh, guy was nuts. Anyway, um, so this is the situation. I mean, this is about as bad as it can get. Yet, for some reason, Paul has learned this secret, the secret of peace, the secret of contentment. And as he says... It transcends all understanding. You know, as I, as I begin to even review the year of Granite Creek, I got to tell you, it was a great year for me personally for church life. I mean, you guys are awesome. You guys are so much fun to be around. I mean, very little just drama, very little craziness. There's a lot of a peace in our fellowship this year. It's very exciting to be around. Yet, this year, we probably buried more people than any other, any other year in our history. Uh, one month, we had a funeral almost every single weekend. And it's like, oh, and I don't like funerals. I just don't. I'd rather marry somebody than bury somebody. But uh, it's life, right? And guess what? You're going to die someday. That's a, the, the feel-good message of the year. You are, you're dust, man. Unless the Lord comes back, you're going to die. Pastor Steve might raise you from the dead, but you're still going to die someday, right? It's just going to happen. But yeah, I know, might as well read the news. And one of, one of, I'm not the best pastoral counselor in the world, okay? And, and my, my advice to you, if you're going to minister to somebody that is really struggling, they've, they've lost a loved one, or they've lost their job, or, you know, something bad has happened, they're dealing with a, a terminal illness or something like that, the worst thing that you could possibly do is say, well, the Bible says you must have sin in your life. Don't do that. And, and don't say, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and then you start quoting Scripture. You don't want to do that. And the best thing that you can do when somebody's grieving, when somebody's having a hard time, is that you pray the peace of God over them. And usually my pastoral counseling technique is, okay, I'm going to pray for you, and then I want you to read Philippians. That's it, folks. I'm not the, I, I'm not the best counselor, and sometimes that's just not going to work, and I get it. And uh, the best thing that you can do if you need to talk to somebody is you need to contact our counseling ministry at church where you'll get a licensed 
counselor to help. That's, that's what you need sometimes. Not me saying, let me pray for you and just read this. Go away. No, I'm not that cold and callous. But I, sometimes you just need to be able to, fence, to, 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 to get proper feedback, have the right tools. But what I can do as a pastor is that I can introduce you to the God of peace, the peace of God. It's a powerful thing. It would change your life. And what Paul is saying to us, he's saying, I have learned the secret to be content, to have peace. I have learned this secret. And as we're going to look in, as we're going to dive into the scripture, he's going to tell us how to do it. He tells us how to discover the secret of peace in Philippians. All right, you guys ready to figure it out? Okay. First of all, the character of peace is radically different than our world's peace. The opposite of peace is anxiety. How many people feel anxiety in this season? Christmas time is a very anxious time, and anxiety is just, it's a fear. It's almost like a fear that's out of control, and you can't help it necessarily. But peace is the opposite of anxiety. So when we actually enter into the Christmas season, I mean, it, it's, we're celebrating the birth of the Prince of Peace. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. That means there ought to be no anxiety, but there's the, the great irony, right? You are anxious because you've got to get these things taken care of. You've got to get the presents bought, whatever. So um, that's the opposite of it. But there's another thing about God's peace that is unlike what we might think about. God's peace, the Bible tells us, is a gift. It's a gift. Uh, it, it, to be specific, in Galatians, it says the peace of God is the fruit of the Spirit. So we have the gifts of the, of the, of the Spirit, but then there's the fruit of the Spirit, so peace is one of those fruits of the Spirit. But there's this interesting thing that happens as Jesus is talking to his disciples before he faces the cross. And what he says is, well, let's read it. How about if we read it? Does that sound good? All right. The, the reference is the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. These things I have spoken. This is Jesus. This is one of the last uh, discussions that he has with his disciples. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, other translation says the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Okay, here we go. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you my peace. This isn't something that you can get on your own. This isn't something that where if you, if, you, if you try to change your environment, change what you're thinking about, um, Get yourself in a better state of mind that you're going to get. Okay, that's, that's worldly peace. Jesus is saying, what I'm giving you is my peace. You don't have it. You don't have it yet. This is something that is 
Catch this. This is something that is beyond you. This is something that is beyond your control. This is something that is beyond your abilities. This is mine. And I'd like to spend more time, I'm going to spend more time studying in it, but there's an interesting correlation between the peace of God and the Holy Spirit. Like, they are almost the same thing. They work hand in hand. There is an intimate connection between the peace of God and the Holy Spirit. So therefore, if we are indwelled with the third person of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit, we will have his peace. Interesting thing happens. Okay, again, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about peace, about giving him their peace, uh, what happens? Jesus goes to the cross, and the apostles freak out. Like the situation was bad, it just got worse, our leader's dead, and they freak out. Anxiety seizes them. All is lost. Uh, They are not acting like they have the peace of God in their life. Peter is, you know, he's scared of little girls and lying about stuff. Everybody else scatters. Jesus, of course, he dies on the cross. He resurrects on the third day, and he enters into the room. He engages the apostles again, and he says, here I am, my peace on you. So he says it again, and then he does something very interesting in John chapter 20. I'm going to write that down. He says, I give my peace to you, and then he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive it. It's like the first time they didn't get it. He gave it to them, but they didn't receive it. This time he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then everything changes from then on. It's like their anxiety falls off. And they face some of the worst pro- uh, uh, persecution the, the church has ever seen. The church has ever seen. Okay, back to the Mamertine prison where Paul is in prison. Again, he's facing death. Yet he's saying, it is good with my soul. I'd rather live, but it would be better to be in God's presence than to live. I'm okay. Paul has this uncanny ability to face death and, and honestly, to smile about it. Not in a sadistic, you know, like, I want to die kind of a way, but he says, it's okay. It's okay. And then he says, I have this peace that transcends understanding. I can rest in it. I feel secure. Even though I'm in prison and facing death, I feel security. Very interesting. So first thing about the character of God's peace is is it's a gift. And Paul knew this. Look, before Paul was introduced to Jesus... Before he received Jesus into his heart, he was an anxious little man. Like there were people that were doing things that he didn't like, and it bugged him. And he rode around all over the country persecuting people because he didn't like what was going on. It was making him anxious. Yet when Jesus comes into his heart, it changes him. So for Paul to sit in the prison and say, you know what, I'm okay with death, it's not because Paul was a tough guy. Paul was not a stud where it's just like, it's just my natural ability to look death in the eye and laugh at it. That was not part of his character. This part he learned. He engaged. 
he, didn't, he wasn't born with that type of courage. He got it from God. And he's going to tell us how we can get it. Peace. It is calmness. It is poise. It is the ability to walk in and not freak out no matter what happens. It's what the world desperately needs. And it's different. It's drastically different than how the world offers peace. Because when, well, you know, if you are, if you have anxiety, and if it's, if it's clinical, I want to encourage you to go see a psychologist or a counselor or whatever, but they're going to do something that Paul doesn't do. They're going to say, okay, you need to do these techniques, you need to do this positive thought therapy, cognitive therapy, right? You guys familiar with this kind of stuff? You need to begin to rewire the way that you think. And that is all good, but they leave something out. Okay, let's take a look. So, first major point that we're going to talk about, you might want to write this down. In order to gain God's peace, in order to discover that secret, the first thing that we got to do, that Paul tells us, I don't know if you caught it, but he says that, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and here it goes, write this down, you think about these things. It does sound a lot like pop psychology, okay? You need to start, think, you quit thinking about bad things, turn the news off, start thinking about good things, right? Okay, but Paul is a little bit different because he's saying, okay, I want you to think about this stuff. Now, the, the way we kind of lose something in translation with the translation of the word think here. It's not like, okay, I'm just going to think about what I'm going to have for lunch. No. This think is much deeper, this thing is I'm going to consume it. I'm going to ruminate on it. I'm going to devour it, study it. Probably the best word for it is I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to get this stuff inside of me. And what Paul suggests is the secret of peace, which you won't find in Barnes & Noble in the self-help area on psychology, is he says, I want you to ruminate, to think, to consume, to, to get this into your head. Truth. Right and wrong. Purity. Noble thoughts. You're not going to get that in your book in psychology. They want you to think about good things, and you might need to. You've got to rewire the way you think. But Paul's taking it to the next level. He says, I want you to think about truth. Now, truth is like the biggest question that, that we have. I want you to think about what is right and what is wrong. I want you to think about who you are in Christ. You are nobility. You've got to drop this slave mentality. You need to walk in and step into my family, which is a noble family. And you are, you are a priest of the high God. Interesting. That's a heavy load. What Paul is, I mean, we, don't, we can't see it, but it was in, it's implied, and his audience would have understood it. He's saying, I need you to think theologically. I think I, you need to start thinking about doctrine. You want the peace of God in your life, you need to start thinking about proper doctrine. You need to figure out what the meaning of life is. What is truth? That's the meaning of life. Okay, if you have somebody 
that is coming to you for help and they're depressed, the last thing they might want to hear is, you need to figure out what the meaning of life is. That might be a little overwhelming, don't you think? But this is, this is Paul's approach. You see, Christian peace doesn't avoid your little problems and the difficulties in life. Christian peace looks at it head on, stands up nice and strong, and says, okay, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to find out what is true, what is right. I'm going to adjust my, my, my areas of, of, of insecurity and who I am in Christ. Yes, it is focusing on the positive things of God, but it is the difficult questions it's asking. He's saying, look, you need to, this is the idea of renewing your mind. It's the idea of, of, of capturing every thought. Look, this, this is the hard work. The thinking about your faith, it just doesn't go away. If you think you've got the cross figured out and the atonement figured out and you're bored with, with that, you need to go through Alpha again. <laughs> okay? It just, it should never get boring. It should never get rote. There should always be a fascination of Jesus' love for us and the grace that we received. So thinking about it is, 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 is so key in order to obtaining peace. Now the next major part I'm going to make it a small point, but it's an important point. And if you've been coming to Granite Creek for a while, you know it well, because we talk about it all the time. So the first thing, we've got to con- we have to consume, we have to meditate, we have to think about what is in the book, right and wrong. The next thing that we've got to do is we have to be thankful. We have to have this thankful heart. Now, again, if you've been in Granite Creek, you know this is to be true, because we have to have this thankful heart in order to even engage the presence of God. And Paul is he's so masterful and saying, look, I know you got issues, I know you got problems, but with prayer and petition, make your request known before God in thankfulness. Okay, see, we don't work this way. You know, I'm, why is Paul doing this? He's saying, look, conditional relationships is not how God works. God works unconditionally, and he needs us to think that way. So therefore, um, you ask God for something, you need to thank Him for it in advance. And we don't work this way. We just don't work this way. You know, I, if you do something for me and if it works out, then I will thank you. And what God is saying is, I want you to let me be in charge of your life. And the only way that you can do that is that you have to be thankful for what's coming down the road. It might be what you're praying for. It might not. But it, it's not going to... You're not going to engage the peace unless you have that heart of thankfulness. And it's not going to come to fruition unless you thank me first. Why, why is this important? Um, how many people have prayed for something? God, I really want this. All right. Um, I used to do this all the time when I was dating. God, she's the one. She's the one. And I've done all the hard work, God. Like, I... I manipulated the situation so I could sit next to her in class. Um, you know, when we, we went out on that group date, I accidentally left my jacket in her car, so I had to get it later. It's a good tips, guys. I know. I know. Hey, uh, I left my, car, my jacket in your car. Can I come by and get it? And I know. 
God, come on, I'm doing all the hard work here. Now it's your turn. I'm giving you an opportunity here. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this before you, a prayer and petition. So now it's time for you to bless me. First of all, there's no thankful heart there, right? And second, man, if God gave us everything that we prayed for, I don't know about you, but I would be in a big, big mess. Because some of those girls I dated were crazy. <laughs> crazy. It's like, oh, God, thank you so much for sparing me from my own desires. Right? So do you see why it's important when we, when we say, okay, God, this is, this is, these are my needs. This is my petition. And I'm going to thank you for whatever you give me. Can you pray that prayer? I'm going to thank you for whatever you bring me. God doesn't owe you a dang thing. Right? He's done everything. He doesn't owe you a thing. So we need to be thankful for what he gives us. It is the best. He always gives us his best. Sometimes what we want is not the best for us. I I guarantee you that. So that thankful heart, that's, that's another key. Now, the next part, the next major point is, is a little more abstract and it's a little harder to understand. And he doesn't really quite come out and say it from the beginning. He doesn't, you know, we get, you know, thinking about it's pretty straightforward. Being thankful is pretty straightforward to the keys to um, acquiring God's peace. But the next point, it, it's, it's a little more deeper and it's a little hidden. And again, when Paul is writing this letter to this church that he loves that has sacrificed financially for him to be on mission. He, he thanks them. He says, I, you know, thank you so much for your financial contribution. He does address some church issues, like, you know, I know you got those two people that are fighting in church, you need to knock it off. But that's it as far as discipline goes. And imagine people fighting in church. That never happens here. Um, and he says, look, I... This gift is, is, is absolutely amazing. It says, but I have learned the secret to be content in season, out of season. When I have plenty and when I'm starving to death, I have learned this secret to be content. I have no fear. I have no anxiety about things in life. He says, so the gift is great. But I want you to know that my security and my peace and my ability to persevere and face this trial has nothing to do with your gift. I don't, I don't need your money to make me happy, is what he's saying. See, the problem, he, see, he's, he's cracked the code of the human condition. The human condition, the philosophers knew this. The ancient philosophers knew it. Buddha knew it. The problem with the human condition is pain. You know, we, we experience pain. What leads to pain? What leads to pain are attachments. Buddha knew it. The Stoics knew it. Paul knew it. And what, what do I mean by that? Um, remember when you were a little kid? And you got a puppy or a cat or something like that. And it was like your buddy and you were attached to it. And then it died. You remember that? 
Remember the first time as a little child you experienced the loss of something that you loved? It's, it's an incredible pain. And this is the human condition. See, we, we put our attachments, our desires, our loves for things and for people and for situations. And here's the problem with the human condition. Things get broken or go away. People will die or disappoint us. The economy is going to tank and you're going to lose your house and lose your car. And when those things happen, we, it hurts because those are the things that we loved. And it brings pain. And what the Stoics knew, and what Buddha knew, is that the only way that we can escape the pain of life is to release all of our attachments. The only way that they could accomplish this was through aestheticism, meaning that initially you just, you just sat in the woods by yourself and you, know, you didn't have any desires for anything. That's the only way that they could answer the problem, is to, 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 to completely cut off all your desires, all of your love for anything in this world. And you just become a stoic, or you just become an aesthetic. But it doesn't work. It's an empty life. It's a dark life. They knew it, too. The philosophers knew it, too. But there was really no other way around it until Jesus came. I think Buddha would have been a follower of Christ, by the way. But when Jesus came, he's saying, look, People are going to let you down. People are going to disappoint you. Things are going to burn away. Your attachments, they lead to pain. You have your priorities in the wrong place. This is, this is the key to the whole thing, folks. We, if we have our priorities in the wrong place, it's going to lead to disappointment. Paul was able to say, look, I have, I have a peace that transcends all understanding. I am content when I am in need, and I am content when I have stuff. Because everything is wrapped up into how I see Jesus and God, and he's number one. Everything else is number two. When we begin to understand this truth, this secret truth of making God number one, look, I love my wife. She's the most amazing thing in my life. And maybe there were times where I loved Mako more than I loved God. And then she made me mad, right? The, no, actually, the truth is, I make her mad, okay? Well, that's, what, that's the truth behind the whole thing. And then it's like, ah, I'm, like, oh, I'm just, just discouraged. And anxiety begins to set in. When I do the right thing, when I seek truth, when I seek purity, when I seek what's right and wrong, when I put everything in its proper order and its proper perspective, and God is first in my relationship, then Mako, then all these other things that I think I like, I enjoy them better. My relationship with my wife has more color and more meaning and more purpose when God is first in my life. I'm an antique dealer. I like things. I actually enjoy my objects more 
when God is first in my life. And it's okay to enjoy things. Isn't that the beauty, the beauty of our faith, of Christian peace? Is that just, you just don't discard everything that's material. God made material. We are geared to enjoy it. The only way that we can truly enjoy everything on earth is if God is first. Paul knew this truth. This is what, this is, this is what gave him the ability to, to look fa- death in the face and say, ah, you know, you know come at me. I, I'm okay. So we have to, in one aspect, Get rid of our attachments to this world. We have to understand that the peace that the world offers is not the same as God's peace. Again, God's peace is this gift. But what we do know is that the peace that will transcend understanding, as Paul says, it guards your heart and your mind. Now, guard is a military term. And so when we decide to accept and receive the peace of God into our hearts, God picks up a sword. He takes on a military spot to protect our heart and our mind. God fights for us. It is an amazing thing and an incredible sense of his security to have God fight for us. I got a quote. I got to read it. I didn't read it for a service. But let's see where to go. Oh, no. That's a really good quote. I mean it. Yeah. Oh, here it is. All right. Victor Hugo says, Have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones. When you have laboriously accomplished your tasks, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. Isn't that an amazing promise of God that we can rest? We can rest in His presence. That we can sleep better because we know that God's awake. We have that peace that transcends understanding. All right. So we have to have a thinking faith. We have to have a thankful faith. And probably the best way to you know, describe the last point is the prioritization of our affections. Or knowing what our attachments really are. Do you know what your attachments really are? What are you attached to? What's that thing that you can't let go of? That, those are very difficult questions to have. But you see, if you have these really strong, magnetic attachments to the things of this world, you can't have that calm you can't have that poise. You can't have that peace. Think about super rich people. Super rich people, they might seem like they're happy, but they're super paranoid that people are going to take their stuff. 
That's not a peaceful lifestyle. They're continually anxious about people taking their stuff. That was the Emperor Nero's problem. He killed almost his entire family off because he was so paranoid that they were going to get his stuff, that they were going to take away the things that he loved. And here's the thing. Everything from riches to relationships to objects, they're all temporal. They're all going to change. They're all going to go away. And what Paul came to realize is, if I love the one thing that is never changing, I am secure. Do you get that? If I love that one thing that never changes, that is always secure, then I can have peace. I'm able to face everything. And my favorite scripture of this whole thing is, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do anything through Christ. If I have the band and the ushers come up to the front, As they're on their way up, there's a little thought. Paul, Peter, all the other apostles, that anxiety they had before Jesus died, it all went away, and they were able to face the impossible in security and peace. They were able to look death in the face and just laugh at it. It's like, you know what? It's okay. It doesn't freak me out. It doesn't bother me. One interesting thought. When Jesus gave his peace, when he released his peace, when he was hanging on the cross, uh, scholars believe that the cross was so horrible that most people would pass out before they died, just from fatigue and exhaustion. Yet when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cries out, Abba, Father, why, why have you turned away from me? Why, why, are you, why did you abandon me? You see, this is, this is really sad, folks. This is really hard to get. This is why the cross is so fascinating to me. When Jesus faced the death on the cross, God wasn't looking over him like he does you and me. Because Jesus had the sin of the world on him. He had all anxieties on him. He had all attachments on him. And so when Jesus died, he didn't have the peace of God that you and I and Paul and Peter have. What an incredible sacrifice. He knew what he was facing. He knew he was facing a death that was going to be completely alone and dark. And he was willing to do it for us. Years ago, uh, I was on a buying trip in uh, Eastern Europe. I was on the German-Czech Republic border out in the middle of nowhere, a little town called Dichen, and I was looking for antiques, and I came across this little shop and uh, knocked on the door. This really odd guy opens the door. The best way that I can describe this character is that he looked like um, a character from Harry Potter, I mean, just really strange and eccentric. And so he's showing me his stuff. He's like, yeah, it's not really what I want, not really what I want. And he goes, ah. And so he takes me in the back, and then he starts unbolting all these doors and unlocking all these locks. And then, and then I enter into this room, and my eyes begin to adjust. 
and I got the heebie-jeebies. I just got this creepy feeling. Have you ever gone into an environment and you got the heebie-jeebies? Like, this is creeping me out. I don't know what it is. Uh, I had that, that feeling and that sensation. And then the guy starts bolting me in the room. He starts locking everything up. And by the time my eyes adjust, there's like, you know, this period bust of Adolf Hitler. There's these Nazi memorabilia, uniforms, you know, old machine guns, uh, posters. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'm really feeling creeped out. You know, there were some nice paintings on the wall, too. But for the most part, I'm really freaking out. And um, he sits down at the desk. He opens up a drawer, and he pulls out a pistol. And he's like, ek, luga, ek, super. And I'm like, is it? I'm looking down the barrel of a gun, and he's going to kill me. And the you know, initial rush of adrenaline went through my system. And then a breath the peace of God that transcends all understanding, and I was okay. Okay, God, here I am. I'm ready to go. My security in salvation was strong. I knew exactly where I was going. Do you have that? That is an incredible peace, folks. It is an amazing piece. Again, we buried a lot of people this year. And I hope that everyone has that peace and that assurance of salvation. How do you know that you have it? Again, that's kind of between you and the Lord. But you have an experience like that, and you'll know. Because, again, after the adrenaline went through my system, all anxiety fell off. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. And that's what God wants for you, too. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just thank you for the assurance of salvation, God, <laughs> that your grace was sufficient and it came into our world and it saved us from death and destruction. God, right now, I just pray that everyone here will, will receive the peace of God. Not as the world offers, but the peace that Jesus gives freely that we will receive his peace. God, that literally, that, that Jesus will breathe on us and we will receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelt Holy Spirit. And then everything that, that brings us anxiety, all the attachments and stuff, you know what, it's just, it doesn't matter. Because my God is bigger than any circumstance, anything that I face. And I can put my assurance in his good work that he will complete someday. God bless you guys as you give.